All right, here we go. Let's go to the book of Acts, chapter number 19, one of my favorite books of the Bible, Acts chapter number nine, or number nine, actually. Acts chapter number nine and verse number 36. We're going to talk about a, a lady in the Bible who is pretty unique. Acts 9 and 36, a lady that many people would have found potentially to be insignificant. They would think maybe her life was not all that important, but I want to tell you otherwise out of the Scripture because all of our lives are important to God. Not only our lives, but God puts into every single life unique giftings, and he's put things into your heart that he wants to manifest, and ultimately he wants to leverage and use for the kingdom of God. And this woman that we're going to talk about here this morning is one such woman. There was a, at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha. Everybody say Tabitha. That was her name, Tabitha, which is by interpretation is called Dorcas. Go ahead and say that one. You know you want to say it. Dorcas. What a nickname. And they believe these were nicknames. I want to know the next saint in Grand Rapids, River of Life, that we can give the nickname Dorcas. Nicole, we call you Dorcas. That was her name, though. More important than her name, though, was the kind of a woman that she was. The Bible says of her, the testimony of Dorcas was, this woman was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. Aren't you grateful that there are people in the church and the kingdom of God that are dedicated in such a way that their lives make your life better? I'm thankful for that. We... We are in a wonderful church, God's people. There's something that the Holy Ghost does in somebody's life and manifesting the spirit of Jesus in a way that they better your life. That was this woman. Maybe to herself, she may not have thought a whole lot about it herself, but the Bible says of her, the testimony was she was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. And it came to pass in those days that she was sick and died. Whom when they had washed, they laid her in an upper chamber. And for as much as Lydia was nigh to Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent unto him two men, desiring him that he would not delay to come to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. When he was come, they brought him into the upper chamber. And notice the scenario, the funeral arrangements. All the widows stood by weeping. They're standing around the casket, the body of Dorcas, Tabitha, this wonderful woman. They're all crying, they're weeping. They're not just weeping about their loss, but they're holding in their hands. The Bible says the coats and the garments which Dorcas made while she was with them. It's as if parenthetically they're holding these coats and these garments and they're weeping and they're crying and they're saying, who is going to take Tabitha's place? She was so good to us. She cared for us. The clothes that I'm wearing, the homespun clothes that are on my back are a result of this godly woman who gave herself in sacrifice and service and ministry to the church. And they're all weeping because there is such a vacancy that's been created by a woman that most people would maybe consider to be inconsequential. You know, she's just a seamstress. But they're weeping. But Peter put them all forth and kneeled down and prayed and turning him to the body said, Tabitha, arise. And her eyes fluttered and flipped open. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. Mm. It's amazing when you start preaching, the Holy Ghost starts giving revelation. <laughs> As I'm reading this scripture, I believe God wants to resurrect the spirit of ministry in, in, in the church. He resurrected her. James, who was the bishop of the New Testament church, he was the general superintendent. You read about him in Acts 15, he was beheaded, he was killed, he was slaughtered, he was martyred for his faith. I don't read anywhere that he was resurrected from the dead. I'm not saying he wasn't important because he was. But here's a woman that Peter walked in that room, resurrected her from the dead, her eyes flutter open, she gets up. Because you know what God needs in the church? What God needs in the church is servants of the Lord. People that are willing to take the simplicity of their lives. Yeah, you know, I say not, not much. I mean, for real. I, all I got is a sewing machine and all I can do is make clothes. But God said, we're going to raise her up because she's a value and she's a blessing to the kingdom of God. And he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, presented her alive. And what a party that must have been in that house that day. 
when this woman that had been dead is now resurrected and they're all looking at her saying, thank God, Tabitha, you're back. Dorcas, we have missed you so much. Dorcas, we're so glad you're back. Dorcas, so wonderful that you're here. Dorcas, thank you. And probably there was a line of 5, 10, or 15 people that were standing there not only congratulating and greeting her, but they probably had, you know, garments that had holes in them and coats that were ripped and like, welcome back to work. Right? Let's be practical here a little bit. God needs servants in the body of Christ. And that's why our message series, I really feel the Lord directing us. I'm excited about what God's going to say to us in this next month. You're going to also want to be in our Sunday night services because in, in our morning services, we're going to talk about being called to serve. Can you say that with me? We're called to serve. We're called to serve the Lord. And at night, I feel like God is directing us into finding your place in ministry. Have you ever been in the church and just wondered and thought, man, I, certainly there's got to be a place for God you know, that God would have me to work. Certainly there must be a place that God wants me to be involved, but I just don't know what to do, and I just don't know how to do it, and I just don't know where to start. Well, the good news is we have this thing called PM Live where we're going to talk about just those things. Say, oh, does that make that big a difference? I'm going to tell you it makes 100% of the difference because when you have a church of people that are serving the Lord with gladness, you got a strong church of people that are bound together for the mission, the mandate, and the purpose of the Lord, which is to serve our God. And we gather together here to be trained, but our service starts. Don't worry, I'm going to have you sit in just a minute. I know you've been standing. But our service begins when we leave this place. Coming here is how we get equipped and empowered and touched and blessed and strengthened and rebuilt so that we can leave this place and so that every one of us can do our part in this world to fulfill the God-given ministry that God has given us. You get it? You catching what I'm throwing? All right. Jesus, thank you so much, Lord. Thank you for the word and the spirit. I pray in a special way, oh God. Talk to us this morning. Thank you for your great people. I pray there'd be clarity. I pray there'd be direction. I pray, oh God, over this next month that you would send us forward. I pray help people discover and recognize and realize what you've put into them. And may they mix it with faith and use it for the glory of God so that at the end of all of our lives, we could be in the same position that Tabitha was in. There should be a vacancy when we leave because our ministry has been so impactful, oh God, that when we're gone, there ought to be something missing. I pray that in Jesus' name today. In Jesus' name today. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. You may be seated. Call to serve. <clears throat> I got three very important reminders I'd like to begin this message with this morning. First reminder I want to remind all of us of, number one, is that Jesus loves you. I want to remind you of that. I know a lot of you may say, I know that's old news, but it's good news. It's not just old news, it's good news. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves you. It's important for you to recognize that. He, he loves you. Um, I would say this is an important reminder especially considering what this next week is bringing us. My dear brothers, do you know what next Friday is? I just saved five marriages. Like, what is that? Valentine's Day. Now, you don't have to act like you were reminded in church. You can just pretend like you knew all along. And you can plan that candlelight dinner. And, uh... Have yourself a good old time. Valentine's Day. The most important Valentine's Day, though, is the day that Jesus hung on the cross of Calvary and looked at all of us worthless creatures. We can't square our shoulders, puff our chest, put our chin out and say, man, didn't God get such a good deal when he got me? <laughs> As the truth is, when God got me, and this is just how life works. He got me when I was broken down. He got me when my life was mixed up, messed up, screwed up. He got me when I wasn't all together. 
He didn't say like, oh, what a good deal I got. In his love, he said that, but I know full well that what he got when he got me was a hot mess. That's right. But God in his kindness reached out to demonstrate not my goodness that I was worthy, but he reached out to unworthy people to demonstrate his kindness. <laughs> and he says, I'll take the unworthy, I'll take the one that really doesn't have a whole lot to offer me. I'll take the one that's all busted up. Their marriage is split six ways a Sunday. Their heart is broken. They're on drugs. They're thieving and conniving and stealing and their lives a mess. And God says, I'll tell you what, I love them anyway. And the investment of that love in seed form is the thing that literally has the capacity to transform our life because you know like i know that the first time we felt the presence of god in our life we knew how undeserving we were we knew what kind of sinners we were we knew that we didn't deserve that level of kindness but all of a sudden in spite of that fact a good god demonstrated his goodness to us and showered down upon us love like we'd never known before and we go wow now, if you're a guest here, I don't mean to freak you out. But it doesn't disturb me too bad when you get freaked out. Because when you get freaked out by the love of God, I can tell you what happened when I came to church for the first time, second time, third time, and was freaked out by Pentecost. People clapped. The church I went to, you didn't clap your hands. Church I went to, you didn't lift your hands. Church I went to, you did not run a lap. I'm going to tell you right now. They were calling the police. Church I went to, there were a lot of dry eyes. The church I went to, at the end of the service, everybody packed up and went home. Nothing was changed. Nothing was different. I'm not here to critique or criticize that. I'm saying that's just the fact. But I came into a church like this, and all of a sudden, I mean, there's more than just dry eyes. There's wet eyes. There's a move of God. People are in the altars. People are crying. I'm seeing addicts being set free. I'm, I'm looking around, and... And I've, you know, the church that I came to God in, there was a bunch of brand new people that just come to God and they were like nuts. They were crazy for Jesus. And they're shouting. And, and those were the people that, that uh, did the holy huddle and ganged up on me. That service when I didn't know what to do and I felt the presence of God for the first time and I'm weeping and I'm like, I'm 15, I don't weep. This isn't what you do when you go to church. It's certainly what, not what you do when you're in public. You don't do that kind of thing. But I was arrested by the goodness and by the love and by the presence of God. And to this moment, 33 years later, I go back to that on almost a daily basis. That Jesus loved me. When I was undeserving, he loved me. He loved me. He loved me. Still blows my mind today that he loved me and that the beginning of that love and that's I have gone back to that I cannot tell you how many times because the first sensation that I had from God When that that little time of prayer it was about 10 or 15 minutes of prayer where I'm weeping in the presence of God that time of prayer completely reinformed my life as to who God is and it let me know because the first experience that I had with God was an experience of love I was embittered, I was broken, I was depressed, I was angry at life, I was a rebellious young man, but when the presence of God surrounded me, the emotion from God that surrounded me was an emotion of love. And it was like God was saying, I love you, I love you, I can fix you, I can put you together, I love you. It's like he took a scrub brush to my soul. And so I want to begin everything that we say here about this series and reminding all of us is that Jesus loves you Jesus loves you you look at your neighbor and say that remind them remind them we need a good reminder Jesus love you all right point number two I better go fast point number two Jesus I also want you to know this Jesus chose you Jesus chose you Listen, this was not an arbitrary, accidental decision by God. It was an intentional. If you're in the church today, it wasn't accidental. If you're in the church today, God came up at some point and put his finger on you and said, I want you. And I, I want you, and I want you, and I want you, and I want you. It was personal. It's not just a generalized call. There is a general call to the world. 
But God comes, he's so big and powerful, he comes into every one of our lives and he says, I, I choose you and I, I want you and I want you. Thank God that we've been chosen. We have been chosen. That's a special thing. That's something you can't just throw to the wind. That's a special thing. John chapter 15 and verse number 16 says, notice what Jesus said, John 15 and 16. Jesus said, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. So when we say, I found God, really God found us. And we were smart enough to say yes, right? Jesus initiated the call. I didn't initiate the call. Because if I initiated the call, I could say, man, aren't I an awesome guy? I'm saved because of me. It's not by works lest we should boast. It started with him. You have not chosen me, Jesus said, but I have chosen you. And notice, he said, I've chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. That so whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. He said, I've chosen you. He said, you didn't choose me, but I chose you to bring forth fruit and your fruit might remain. So everybody that's here, if you have been saved by the grace of God, if you have been baptized in Jesus' name, everybody that's here, if you've been filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you need to recognize this morning, not only did Jesus love you, but Jesus personally and particularly chose you. He chose you. He called you. You've got a calling upon your life, and he chose you. He chose you to come out of the world. He chose you in your own unique circumstance to change your life. He cho chose you in his own unique way to pick you up and to make you a testimony. That no matter where you go, you would be like a billboard and a marquee telling all the world, this is what Jesus can do in somebody's life. Jesus chose you, and when he chose you, he chose you in such a way that you would be fruitful so that the world could know that he is a good God. Amen. Amen. So, Jesus loves you. Jesus chose you. My third point I want to make here, and I want to set this up the right way. Jesus loves you. Jesus chose you, and Jesus needs you. Jesus needs you. Who, me? Me? Really? I mean, me? Come on, I'm not all that big of stuff. I mean, really? He needs me? Jesus? Yes, Jesus needs you. I want to set this up the right way. Jesus doesn't need you in a begging, codependent, desperate, weak way. He's not going, oh, please, please. The God of the universe is not going, oh, please, I just, please, please, please. He's not on his hands and he's begging you because he's above that. Amen? But I will say this, that Jesus does need you in a sense that Jesus has a great big work to do in the world. Oh, God, help me. God, help me. Jesus has a great big work to do in this world. He has a work to do in Grand Rapids. He has a work to do in Itasca County. He has a work to do in Hibbing. He has a work to do in Deer River. I don't know about you, but I pray for our community. I pray, I pray these kind of prayers for our community. God, give our community a Holy Ghost apostolic revival that changes our community till our community is a place of godliness and a place of holiness and a place of righteousness and a place where marriages work and a healthy place and a good place because I believe Grand Rapids ought to be the revival center. It ought to be the revival capital of the world. It ought to be a revival capital. I mean, think about it. Where you go to the grocery store and you're picking out your Oikos yogurt there and standing next to you are three people and every one of them are speaking in tongues. When you pump your gas at the gas station at M&H and, and you walk in and the guy that's standing behind the counter, he speaks in tongues. And you're driving down the road and you look in that car there and oh, that's another brother in Christ. And that car there is another sister in Christ. And you look in the road and there's a family of six. They're walking down the road and that's brother so-and-so and they're in the church of the living God. I want you to know that God has a plan for this world 
And he's not happy with people being strung out on methamphetamine. He's not happy about marriages being broken. He's not happy about people's minds being blown by sin. He's got a work in this world to do that will change our world and change our community and change our families. God has a work that he wants to do. Now, Here's the deal, though. This work that he's going to do, he doesn't send fluttering angels to do all the work. Angels don't preach the gospel, folks. Hello? Angels don't preach the gospel. You know who he's going to use the work? Can you lift your hand and say me? He's going to use me. He's going to use you. He's going to use us. So Jesus needs you a little old me i don't i don't know about that what do i have to offer well, that's what we're going to try to discover in the next month and a half what do i have to offer well, i'll guarantee you this if god called you into his kingdom you have a lot to offer you have a whole bunch to offer there's so much goodness that jesus wants to tap into and that he wants to use Acts chapter number 26 go there with me Acts chapter 26 Acts 26 and 15 Acts 26 is the Apostle Paul recounting telling his testimony about what Jesus did for him in the ninth chapter of Acts when he was arrested on the Damascus Road he's telling his story years and years later he's telling his story notice notice what he says when he tells his story he's like this is how it went down when I got saved, this is what happened. Preempting this, there's a light as bright as the noonday sun. There are many later, uh, Paul talks about having a, a, a thorn in the flesh. Remember him talking about the thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan sent to buffet him. When he would write his letters, many of his letters would make a statement like this. I wrote this letter with my own hand. He talked about how large the writing was with his own hand. It was pretty rare that he wrote his own. Mostly he transcribed it to a scribe who would write down his letters. Some that he did, but his writing was odd. It was large, probably because when he was blinded on that Damascus road, the brightness of that light affected his sight. Very likely, it was something that he carried throughout his life. He was, if you will, blinded by the light. I'm so thankful today that the light of the glorious gospel of Christ shines to us in such a way that you can know that you know that you know that you've had an encounter with Jesus Christ that is absolutely transformative and can change your life. We don't just accept Christ as personal Savior. You don't just come up to the pastor or the priest or the bishop and have him pray a little prayer over you. And when he gets done praying that prayer, he hands you a little card and says, congratulations, you are now saved. We don't believe that. We believe that what happens in your life is that you have a, a contact with Jesus Christ, that you will never be the same again. That when Jesus comes in contact with your life, you will know that you know that you know. And I believe we all need that kind of personal conviction to know that I got saved. That'll happen when you go down in the water in the name of Jesus. You go down in that water and you come up out of that water, you're not going to come up out of that water just wet. You're going to come up out of that water freed and forgiven with a new name written down in glory. You're going to come out of that water with your sins remitted and washed away. That's what happened to me. It happened just again last week. We were baptizing people. I saw people come out of the baptismal tank and their mouth was hanging open. They, they looked like they were catching flies. Like what in the world just happened? Let me tell you what happened. God gives you a new mind, a new heart, a new spirit. He transforms you and he changes you. It's that significant. No, we got to get to it. All right. So that's where Paul is at. So the light shines, Acts 26, 15. I said, who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. Uh-oh. The one that he had been persecuting previous to that, he's now hearing the voice saying, you've been persecuting Christians. You know who you've been persecuting? You've been persecuting me. I'm God. I'm the one that's blinding you with the light right now. But watch what the Lord speaks to the apostle Paul at this time, Saul. He says, but rise and stand upon thy feet. Get up, get on your feet. For I have appeared unto thee. This is crazy. 
I have appeared unto thee for this purpose to make thee a minister. He gets knocked on his butt. He's sitting on the Damascus road. He's freaked out like, what in the world just happened? He says, who are you? He says, I'm Jesus. He says, uh-oh. And the next words that God speaks to him is, by the way, you're going to be a minister. <laughs> That's like you're in the altars, right? Your, your first time at church, you're in the altars, and all of a sudden, Shazam takes place. And the lightning bolt comes out of heaven, and the Holy Ghost, Chris, gets a holy, and you're like, unbelievable, man, what happened? Bam, I got the real deal. And like the next thing you hear from God, God's like, hey, and by the way, you're going to be a preacher. And not only are you going to be a preacher, but, but you're going to be a preacher all over the world, and you're going you're gonna to tell people that are in darkness, that are all messed up in their life, you are going to go to treacherous places that, that nobody else would ever go to. By the way, now Paul hadn't even been baptized in Jesus' name yet. And I can't see in this passage where he's even spoken in tongues yet. I mean, he's in the birth canal. He's not even born again yet. And intrinsic in his new birth experience, are you ready? intrinsic to his new birth experience is Paul he said I'm gonna make you a minister you hadn't even been baptized yet you haven't even got the Holy Ghost but Paul I want you to know something I'm gonna sow a seed in your life that right here and right now that I want you to know that you're gonna be born again into the kingdom of God and into the church and you're gonna be born again into the church not so you can just come to church once a week not so that you can just sit and soak Paul not so that you can just come and hear a preacher preach once on Sunday Paul but I want you to know Paul that I'm putting something in you that is so dynamic that it is literally going to change the world that you're living in, Paul, because you're going to be a preacher, because you're going to tell people about the goodness of God, and you're going to find people that are in darkness, and you're going to bring them out of darkness. He hadn't even got the Holy Ghost yet. <laughs> Delivering them from the people, verse 17, from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee, verse 18, to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God. And Paul's like, what? Who are you again? Oh, you're Jesus. Oh, we just discovered that. And now you're telling me, Jesus, that I'm going to be turning people from Satan to God? I'm going to help them to receive forgiveness of sins? I mean, I, whoa, this is, you talk about a freaky altar experience. I know some people, man, God touched them. They just, they don't even know, hardly, hardly know what to do with it. How about if you add on to that a call of God that's going to completely change the trajectory of your life for the next 30, 40 years of your life. Your entire life purpose changes the moment that Jesus begins to deal with you. What I'm preaching here this morning is a calling to serve, is a calling to serve. You say, pastor, we've been talking about grace and redeemed and rescued, and that's awesome. That's a calling to salvation. But can I tell you that, that coupled together with the call to salvation is the call to service in the kingdom of God? That when you get born again, God's got a job for you to do? I'm done preaching. We should just have an altar call right now. We should just have an altar call. We could all come to the altar, bow before the altar, and say, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Because that's my message. He doesn't bring us into the kingdom just so we have a comfortable, I got my purple chair now. I got the Holy Ghost. I got baptized in Jesus' name. I got a purple chair. And I'm sitting here until the rapture happens. Yep, I'm good, good to go. Good to go. I got my purple chair. We all have our little chair, don't we? I'm waiting for some people, man, to get like, you know, one of them, you know, gold embossed plates. It's my chair. You're sitting in my chair. Well, I've been baptized. I got the Holy Ghost. I'm in church. I got my chair. You got to have more than your chair. Let me tell you what you have. <laughs> a call of God. A purpose in life. 
a ministry for the Lord, a work to do for God. God doesn't just call you to salvation. He calls you to service. He calls you to ministry. He calls you to mission. There's something more to this life than just sitting tight and waiting until the rapture comes. I want to destroy the works of Satan. I want to see people pulled out of the bondages of hell. I want to see people come out of darkness, uh, come into light. I want to see new brothers and sisters in Christ getting their own purple chair. Everybody deserves a purple chair. I mean, come on. Everybody deserves their own purple chair. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying, I think sometimes that many of us don't realize that God puts things into us. Listen, God puts things into us. God puts things into you. He puts gifts. He puts passions. He puts talents. He puts personality traits. Oh, we're going to have so much fun tonight. Oh, you have no idea how much fun we're going to have tonight. We're going to talk about temperaments and personalities, and oh my goodness, it's going to be just a blast. It's going to be so much fun. You know why? Because God gave you the personality you need to have to do what you need to do. Because the personality goes with the call. Some of you like, but man, their personality trait drives me nuts. Their little quirks drive me nuts. But oh, Jesus loves them. <laughs> you know what? God puts into people these things. He puts these little quirks and these little traits and these talents. And then God takes special care to bring all those things together in you so that those giftings that are in you can now be employed in his kingdom. I look around this church, and folks, there are so many gifts in this church. I mean, Olivia, you're going to be able to reach people I can't reach. God's put things in you. Brian, God's put things in you. Dominic, God's put things in you. There are things, Andrew, there's stuff inside of you. Chris, in you, in all of us. There are special things that God has put inside of us, passions and desires and things that we gather as we pray and giftings and traits and and, and, and drives and, and things that are within us that God's like, okay, if you'll just give those things to me and you'll serve me because I want you to be a minister. Okay, we got to rework this idea now, okay? Minister, we typically think minister. Minister means you need a minister's card, right? Wrong. Minister means the guy that stands behind the pulpit. Wrong. Wrong. Let me tell you what minister means. Minister means servant which really the guy that stands behind the pulpit should be that. Minister, and we're gonna, we'll get into the scripture here a little bit later in, this morning, but minister means servant. It means to serve the Lord. And so Paul tells, or uh, the Lord tells Paul, Paul, I've called you to be a minister. I've called you to be a servant. Paul, I love you. Paul, I've forgiven you. Paul, I washed away all your dirty sins, all the murder, all the terrible things you did to people. I'm washing that all away. But Paul, at the same time, I want to use your life for my glory. For my glory, Paul. And interestingly, all these things are being said even before he was even converted. I'm going to tell you because I feel prophetic as I say this now. There are some of you that are here, you're not even fully in the church yet. You haven't even been born again yet. But you know what? You have an inkling of a desire in your heart to do a work for God. You haven't even been baptized yet. You haven't been filled with the Holy Ghost. And you know there's something inside of you that's special that God wants to use. And you haven't even been born again yet. Because God has the ability to plant inside of people, even pre-salvation, giftings, giftings that are in you. I mentioned the other day, I mentioned the other day during our revival services, I appreciate it. We had a wonderful revival, thank God for Brother Near, wonderful time, and, and we were thanking God for that. And interestingly, I had been listening to this whole impeachment, you know, farce. Because <laughs> that's what it is, it's a farce. So I'm listening, and I'm listening to these guys that are, that are making their, their position known, and I'm listening to them, and I'm like, this is, these guys are like incredibly articulate. I'm like... I've never seen the Antichrist, but if he existed, I think he would sound just like that. I'm not exaggerating. It's exactly what I thought. The reason I thought that is because they took an issue. Have you ever seen somebody take an issue and, and they're 100% on the wrong side of the issue, but they can present the issue in such a way that you're like, huh, <laughs> wow, 
but you know it's a lie. It's, I mean, it is the devil. That's what the Antichrist is going to be like. Peace, peace. And then comes sudden destruction. He's going to be charismatic. He's going to be gifted. He's going to be all that. But the point that I'm making, let me bring this full back around. The point that I'm making is I thought, man, what a preacher they would make. Oh, if they weren't stinking liars, they could be a great preacher. What are you saying? I'm saying what a waste of giftings. Because God puts things into people's lives. He puts them in there. And they can be used for good or they can be used for evil. They can be used to build people up or they can be used to tear people down. I don't know about you. I'm in the kingdom of God. I want every gift that God's put into my heart and into my life. I want to utilize it. I want to leverage it. I want to use it. I want it to be for the glory of God. For the glory of God. I want it to be for the glory of God. Anything that he's put into my life, I want it to be for the glory of God. That's what he said. He said, I saved you to make you a minister. All right? So do you know what this is? <laughs> this is a baptism and a Holy Ghost certificate. We got a whole bunch of them to give out. These are blank, so if you need to be baptized, we got a certificate. We can write. Uh-oh. See Pat Tribbett, she'll, she'll hook you up. See how good at delegating I'm getting? I'm just, I'm, it's a gift. It is absolutely a gift. I'm learning. This is a baptismal certificate, Holy Ghost certificate. And after someone has been baptized, I still have mine from 1987. I've got them in a little, little booklet somewhere. It's got my name on it, January 11th, baptized, February the 1st, filled with the Holy Ghost. And we, we give these out. You know what we've never given out, but I'm about ready to start doing. Okay, so congratulations, Chris. You know, we give Chris his baptism certificate. God bless you, man. Here's the Holy Ghost certificate. We, man, we're excited for you. And we have a third certificate. And do you know what it is? It's a job description. <laughs> okay, you got the Holy Ghost, you got baptized in Jesus' name, and you got a job. You know how much better off we would all be? Oh. Let me tell you why. Here's one thing I know as your pastors. This is years of experience. Let me, let me tell you what I've learned. Years of experience. The people that are busiest for God in the fight for doing the work of God are the least likely to backslide. You don't do anything in church. You don't do anything. But, but pastor, my job is to be the church critic. Because, you know, I just got a real good viewpoint. I can see what's wrong, and that's my job. No, no, no. The most unhappiest, critical people are the people that are doing the least. Here's what I found over the years. The people that are the most involved in the work of God, they're just waking up in the morning. They're minister on mission. They're praying. They're reaching out to this person. They're making a phone call. They're teaching a Bible study. They're cleaning the church. They're involved. They're teaching Sunday school. They're doing their part. They are the happiest people in the church. The people that aren't doing anything are the crabbiest people in the church. So if for no other reason we want to help people overcome the crabbies of life. So here's your job description. Am I making sense? So that's my question for you. What is your ministry assignment? You may not have one and that's okay. I'm not here to beat you up. I'm here to, to illustrate and to elevate what the Bible teaches. That God wants everybody in the church to have a ministry. It could be different. I mean, all of us is going to have a di different ministry, but everybody in the church is going to be rowing together for the same thing. Amen? That's, how many want to have a great church? How many want to be a part of a stinky church? Nobody wants to be part of a stinky church. Me neither. You know how you're part of a great church? We're all rowing in the same direction. We're all doing our part. We're all loving each other. We're all praying. We're all working the work God gives us to do. We're all doing our part. I thank God for where this church is right now. We're going to have a hundred soul revival. It's, it's just going to happen. We're going to have continued growth and progress. I look around. I thank God for every brand new saint. You know why it's happening? Everybody's rolling together. I told somebody just a little while ago, told a couple of people actually, I said, I feel like this is, we have the, the greatest degree of peace. And I shouldn't be afraid to say this. I was going to say knock on wood, but I don't think we... Because we credit the Lord for it. 
But I think we've got the greatest degree of peace and unity and harmony that we've ever had, at least that I can remember, in, in definitely in the distant future. We're together. You know why? Because, listen, I'm not interested in fighting with you. You're not interested in fighting with me. We're not interested in fighting against each other. What we're interested in doing is punching the devil in the face and pulling people out of hell and making a difference in our community and loving God, worshiping God, having a move of the Holy Ghost, being plugged in, doing our part. And let me tell you what, you will never be more satisfied in your spiritual life that when you found what it is that you were born to do and you're doing it for the kingdom of God and you're working what the Lord has called you to work and you're doing what you're called to do, you'll never be happier in your walk with God than when you find out what your ministry assignment is. Amen. So Paul obviously became a preacher, but we all have a mission. We play different roles, but we all have the same mission. And that mission goes beyond attending 3,500 services in a lifetime and hearing thousands of ser sermons. We're talking about effective service for God. In my opinion, this is the big, one of the biggest areas the entire church, the church at large, the church world has missed it. I believe the church world has missed it in this, that we have made salvation an end. Oh, you got saved. Cool. Awesome. You got your, your certificate, man. Sweet. Awesome. You got your certificate. Put it in your book. Kick back until Jesus comes. You're ready. We have made salvation an end versus salvation a beginning to a lifetime of service. I'm going to say it again because it's that profound. Christianity has made a mistake in making salvation an end instead of a beginning to a lifetime of service. In other words, I've been born again. Okay, now what does God want to do with my life? At the very beginning of Saul, who becomes Paul's salvation, Jesus called him into the ministry. I mean immediately, right now, God calls him. So here, here's the question I want to ask you this morning. Does the work of God matter? Does this matter? I mean, really. Let's, 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 let's just discuss this. Does this matter? I was, talking to, uh, I was talking to our assistant pastor this week about this. So does it really matter? He asked me about the past, you know, some of the situations we've gone through as a church and some of the, you know, they're grueling times that you go through, right? You know, he's asking about those things. And it's like, and I, there have been times that I've really had, I've had to ask myself, is this worth it? Is this worth it? Is it worth the pain? Is it worth the energy? Is it worth the sweat? Is it worth the blood, sweat, and the tears? Is the work of God worth it? I had, a, I had a period of time in my own walk with God and ministry of somewhat disillusionment. And I'm like, really? I asked God, is this real? Is this really real? Are we ever going to have revival? Is it ever going to happen? Is it really ever going to Is this real? Because if it's not, I'm going to go do something else, Lord. I don't need this. I don't need it. I don't mean salvation. I'll love Jesus. But if this ain't real... If, is it worth giving my whole life to? Is it worth dedicating? If it's not, and we're just playing a little deal, and I'm just getting by until Jesus comes back, well, then I'm going to go do something else. I don't have to be a preacher. I don't have to be a pastor. Believe it or not, I didn't ask for this job. I didn't ask for this job. I don't want to be a pastor. Don't feel bad for me. I'm just telling you. I didn't ask for this job. I'm thankful now. I'm grateful, grateful to God. It's been a great run but I'm going to tell you, there's been some years where it wasn't fun. <laughs> Maniacal laugh. <laughs> I mean, years it hasn't. So, you have to boil it down and ask the question, does the work of God, does this matter? Does this church stuff matter? Does having prayer meetings matter? Does having a Sunday school department matter? Does having kids group on Wednesday, does it matter? Does it matter that we have life group every Wednesday? Come on. I mean, you could do something else. You could go to a hockey game or go do something else. I mean, does it matter? Does it matter that we go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night? Does it matter? Come on. Does it matter that we have Saturday outreach? Does it matter that we, you know, the wheels of the bus go round and round? Does it matter? Does any of this matter? Does it matter? We have to ask ourselves the question, does it matter? Now, allow me to answer in the affirmative. I believe, yes, it matters. The work of God matters. 
Mike and Alex driving a bus that brings children to Sunday school, sitting right there on those benches, it matters. A lady's Bible study during the week, it matters. Young people being taught the Word of God on Wednesday and on Friday, it matters. Having fellowship matters. Having quality life group. And we can gather together in homes and get to know one another and go through life's journey together discussing the Word of God, loving one another, caring for one another. Listen, it matters. Door hangers, they matter. Well, Preacher, I don't know about that. I don't know about door hangers. Come on, man. That sounds kind of stupid. You just walk around, you hang door hangers on a door. I mean, really? Okay, I got, I got, I got one word for you. Well, two words. Kurt Dorf. <laughs> now, watch this. This is what's crazy. Are you ready? This is what's really cool. Door. <laughs> Think through that one. Door. <laughs> a door. Hanger, one Kurt Dorf. I liked it. I'm a weirdo. I can't help it. Door hangers, they matter. Well, evidently. We wouldn't know this brother right here. He wouldn't be in the church because they matter. The experience. I heard somebody say, yeah, it's just like a carnival. You just have like a carnival. It's just like a carnival. You just do the experience. Hey, listen, we don't have to spend, we spend $1,500, $1,800 to make that happen. A lot of work, a lot of time, a lot of, I mean, we, does it matter? It doesn't matter, then forget it. Let's, let's go fishing that weekend or something. Does it matter? Does it matter? I mean, does bus ministry matter? DJ, does bus ministry matter? DJ can say, he, he can say bus ministry matters. You know why? Because one Saturday, we just go out and we're like, hey, we got to do something. What are we going to do? I don't know. We got to do something. Let's go. Let's go to, uh, what trailer cart was that? Country Acres. Let's go to Country Acres. That's what we're going to do. We're going to go to Country Acres. Knock, 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 knock. Knock, 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 knock. Knock, 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 knock. Knock, knock. I mean, come on. It's not sexy. It's not fun. You know, it's just, it's the right thing to do. And all of a sudden, you meet DJ, ponytail guy. And he's like, what in the world? Now, DJ, can I say this? He was not the friendliest guy. <laughs> he gave the distinct impression like, what are you doing here? <laughs> it's true. Until God got a hold of his life. Until the Lord got a hold of his life. And then you got wife, you got kids, sister. Come on, man. Is it worth it? Yes, it's worth it. What would have happened if somebody said, no, door knocking, you're just acting like a salesman for Jesus. You're just trying to be like a salesman for Jesus. You betcha. In case you're wondering, I'm a salesman for Jesus. That's what I'm doing. I'm doing what they call cold calling. Will you come to our church? I know it's stupid. I know other people have smarter, better ways. But until you give me a smarter, better way, I'm going to stick with the DJ win. That's right. It matters. I mean, does it matter? Where's Dave Hall? Dave Hall, maintenance and all this business? I mean, I mean, church, does it matter? I mean, maintenance, does it matter if the, the church is clean? Does it matter if it's heated? <laughs> does it really matter? Does it matter if we got air conditioning in summer? Does it matter if everything's messy and sloppy? And does, does it matter? I would say that it matters. I would say that it matters. Does a three to five year old class matter? Does music matter? If it doesn't, they can all sleep in. I know she's here at about, up at six, here by seven, every single week of every single week. Her team's here at 8.30. They're practicing and playing. They don't have to do that. They could show up and just grab an instrument and go for it. Be led of the spirit. Spirit's going to be like, you stink at playing. God's like, I can't anoint what you haven't put into yourself. If you give me nothing to work with, I got nothing to anoint. Is it worth it? I tell you, when we enter into the presence of God and these people are anointed in the flow of the Holy Ghost and worship is falling and the presence of God is moving and God is affirming and it's a beautiful thing. I'll tell you what I say, it's worth it. It's worth it. 
It's worth it. And let me tell you why it's worth it. I'm lobbying this morning. I tell you, I'm, I'm working for Jesus this morning. And I tell you what I'm lobbying for. I'm lobbying for his church. This is his church, and it's worth it. It's his church, and it matters. It's his kingdom, and it matters. And better yet, listen, folks, all of us, we all have a part to play to make God's kingdom good, to make it beautiful, and to make it wonderful for God. This stuff matters. Your part matters, and my part matters. And together, together as one, we can do something great for God that will give him glory and honor in this community and in this city that we live in because it matters. It matters. It matters. It matters. Go with me to Matthew chapter number 16. Colossians 1 and 13 also. Colossians 1 and 13. Are you ready? Got your Bible? Bible cap on? Colossians 1 and 13. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness? How many know that we used to be in darkness? Okay, not me. I wasn't all that bad of a person. I didn't murder people. I didn't. It doesn't matter. If you weren't born again, you were in darkness. You're stumbling around at life. Life's not working. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Do you get that? Delivered us from the power of darkness translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. What does that mean? That means there's only two sides you can be on. Only two sides. You're either in the kingdom of darkness or you're in the kingdom of his dear son. You're in the kingdom of God or you're in the kingdom of darkness. And my Bible tells me right here that he has translated us. How does that happen? When you're born again of the water and the spirit, you are translated. You are pulled out of the kingdom of darkness. And you are now over into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Understand that? Two kingdoms. Kingdom of darkness, kingdom of Jesus. Kingdom of Satan, kingdom of God. There's only one of two kingdoms. The good news is that when I was born again, he pulled me out of the kingdom of darkness and he put me into his kingdom now. I am no longer under Satan's dominion any longer. I'd like to get into that a little further. I don't have time. You need to remind yourself, as you come out of that kingdom and you're into this kingdom, let me tell you, Satan's number one job now is in your head to get you back into the kingdom you came out of. I tell you what, I'm in a new kingdom. I'm in the kingdom of God. Satan has no hold on my life anymore. You, you cannot say like Flip Wilson said, the devil made me do it. Because the devil can't make you do anything now. You've been washed in the blood of the land. You've left that kingdom and you're now into the kingdom of God. You're in the kingdom of God. So now that you are in the kingdom of God, every single one of us, we used to be workers for Satan. <laughs> say, oh, who, me? Some of you were really good drug dealers. You were good. Some of you were influential sinners. You didn't just sin. You sinned really good. In fact, you sinned so good that you helped other people to sin. And you were good at it. God all of a sudden says, I'm bringing you out of that. You were a good sinner. But God says, now I'm going to make you to be a good saint. You used to get, work real hard at getting other people involved in your sin and your mess. Now God said, I'm bringing you out of that. Now I'm going to use you to help bring people into the light. You used to influence people for bad, but now you're going to influence people for good because you've changed kingdoms. Mm, I feel the Holy Ghost here today. I'm not going to get all apocalyptic and weird on you today, but listen, there is a cosmic battle that's going on. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. 
We're wrestling against all these things. They are, they are in our world, and there is a cosmic battle that's going on for the souls of men and women, for the cities that we live in, for the counties that we live in, for the country that we live in. You don't think that our country is undergoing a severe battle right now? It's a battle for righteousness and holiness and truth. You don't think there's an ideological, philosophical battle that's taking place in our country right now? But I'm telling you what God needs and what God wants uh, is a bunch of us that are servants of the Lord uh, to link arms and hands together and say we are no longer a part of that kingdom. They can malign us, mock us, mistreat us. They can say it doesn't matter, but we're now in the kingdom of God and in this cosmic battle between good and evil, we've picked our side. We are on the Lord's side and now we need to do some good in the world that we live to change the world. Sin is destroying the world, the adversary, the enemy. So what is God's solution to the, sins, the, the sin problems of the world? What is the solution? The solution is the church. It's not a government program. Now, I know we're coming up on election season, and the way elections are won is politicians promise how they're going to do everything for you and make your life better. Listen, they, they can't. There's certain things that they might be able to do, but our trust is in the Lord. And what we really need is a God that can make the difference. And God uses his people. Watch. Let's, let's go very quickly. Matthew 16 and 15. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Yes. Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Good job, Peter. You got it right. Watch what he says. Verse 18. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. He said, Peter, I'm building my church upon this rock. And he said, Peter, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Hell cannot destroy the church of the living God. As a matter of fact, hell is the redemptor, or the church is the redemptive agency in the world. The only agency that has the power to destroy the works of Satan is the church of the living God is the people that are walking in the blood, in the power of the Spirit, working for the Lord under divine gifting. Those are the people that have the capacity to change the world that we live in. He said it's the church, the church triumphant. The church is going to change the world. Come on, folks, the world isn't going to change the church. Come on. We're not going to let the world change the church. We're not interested in acquiescing. But we who are the church are going to change the world. How are we going to change the world? We're going to change the world by all doing our part and serving the Lord and doing what God would have us to do and fulfilling the function and the plan of God in our lives. So, question we should ask is, what purpose and function do I fulfill in the body of Christ? I want you to think about that this morning. What function do I fulfill in the body of Christ? What is my function? You may not know, and that's okay. But make it a point of discovery. What function? What do I do in the body of Christ? What is, what is my job for God? What is it that the Lord would have me to do? Is it Sunday school? Is it a greeter's ministry? Is it prayer ministry? Is it cleaning the building? Is it movie night outreach? Is it bringing your neighbor a pie? Is it being a Bible study teacher? Is it being a good worker at work? Is it persistent prayer? What purpose and function do you fulfill in the body of Christ? Have you found your ministry? Have you found a place to serve? If each and every one of us is called to serve the Lord, then have you found your place to serve yet? I think another question that we ought to ask, and actually we are on a leadership side, we're looking into this. It's an important question. What is the unemployment rate in the church? We're hearing a lot about unemployment rates in the world. Oh, pastor, I want to shout and run the aisles. What's the unemployment? I tell you what, when God works in our life, it's so that he can outlet his giftings through us so that we can be of benefit in building his kingdom. 
What is the unemployment rate in the church? I believe God wants every single person in the church involved in ministry. How much time do I give in a given week to working for God? In a given day, in a given week, in a given month, in a given year, what am I putting into the body of Christ? What am I doing to build God's kingdom up? And I don't, I, I, when I speak of this, I'm not speaking of just church services. I mean, beyond that, what am I doing to build God's kingdom up? How invested and involved am I in making God's work effective? How am I involved? Am I involved in a parking lot ministry? Am I involved, am I a greeter? Am I involved in welcoming people? Am, am I involved in Saturday outreach? Am I making phone calls? Am I teaching Bible studies? Am I providing support? Am I on the music team? Am I involved in prayer ministry? So the question that I have ultimately with this all boils down to is how can all of us step up our game? Remember I asked you the question earlier, does the, does the work of God matter? Remember I asked you that question? Does the work of God matter? If the answer to that question is yes, that the work of God matters, and that is genuinely true, then what would God have me to do? If the work of God matters, what would God have me to do to bless the work of God? How can I step up my game? How, how can I involve myself? How can I double down on my prayer and say, God, what would you have me to do? How can I get involved in the work of God? Amen. Stand together with me. Last scripture. I realize that the majority of us in this room, this is just probably the truth. And I at times feel the same way. Many of us may feel like, you know, I don't have that much to offer. Many, many people may not think a lot of themselves. In fact, that's probably, you have, you have pride or self-condemnation. And I think most people are probably biased towards self-condemnation versus pride the majority of the time. Most people are not like, oh, I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread, okay? Most people don't think that way. Most people, what they think is, you know, what do I have to offer? I'm just, I'm just a guy. I'm just a guy. What can I do? What can I do? What in the world is it that I could do? In answer to that question, it's the original scripture coming full circle. Her name was Tabitha. Remember Dorcas? <laughs> Dorcas. Acts 9 gives us a window into a funeral of a godly woman. They call for Peter. Peter comes. They're all, they're all crying because she's gone. Tabitha's gone. Dorcas is gone. It's interesting. 9 and 36 says there was a Joppa, a certain disciple. I'm not going to get all Greek on you here, but it is literally the only place in the New Testament that that word is used. That word disciple. It is... It is mathithria. And literally, it is the only place where the word disciple is in the feminine. It's the only place where disciple is used in the feminine. You know why? Most people believe because she was so emblematic. She was so effective as a disciple. They said, we're going to call her that female disciple. Because she represents in such a beautiful way what it means to give your life as a servant to the Lord. She was, she was that honorable. She was that honorable. They're t telling the testimony about Tabitha. She, she, her good works, her alms deeds, she gave to help the poor. She was helping the body of Christ. She was there. She was supportive of people. She was being a blessing to so many people. They call for the great Peter. Peter, Peter, the great preacher of Pentecost, that mighty apostle. And Peter comes walking in. Man of God, apostle, comes walking in the room. And standing there around the, whether she was in a casket or she was just still laying there, whatever it was, he walks into the room and they're all, they're crying, wiping their tears away. She's gone. She's gone. She's gone. She's gone. And look at what she did for us. I didn't have a coat. I didn't have a coat until Tabitha came along. I shivered through a lot of cold nights until what do I do? They looked around and they're in that room where people are saying, look at what she, she made me, these, these pants, and she made me this shirt, and she, she cared for me so well, and she's gone. What are we going to do now? Tabitha is gone. 
Peter went in there. He said two words. I think it's pretty cool. Tabitha, arise. Arise, Papa. <laughs> How you doing, everybody? <laughs> uh, what's going on here? <laughs> Why are you all in my room here? Oh, you were dead. You were dead, but now you're alive. And the church rejoiced. And the church was thankful. You want to know why? Because she was a servant of God. And she made the church better. Like I said, a lot of people may feel very, very inconsequential and say, you know what, I don't have a whole lot to offer. I don't have much. You know, I don't have a lot of natural talent. This woman could have said the same thing. I don't have a lot of natural talent. But you know what? The natural talent that she had, she said, I got a, can I contemporize this? I got a sewing machine. They didn't really have sewing, sewing machines back then. But she said, I've got a talent and I can make clothes for people. And if I can make clothes for people, I'm going to make clothes for people in the body of Christ. And she'd look in the congregation. There's a shirt I made. Look at that. There's a jacket I made. Look at that. And all through the congregation were people that she had blessed because she was a minister for Jesus Christ that made a difference in the kingdom of God.